previously on American Genocide. Activist Crystal Echohawk and investigative journalist Lachey Wesley connected with a passionate activist group called the Youth Council and learned of their plans to protest during the search for buried children under the local Catholic school. And there's a lot of Oglalas out here are pissed off about the church and I know damn well we'll get them removed. It's gonna be pretty, pretty crazy. The investigators also learned the extent that the school and the Catholic Church have become intertwined with the community. Everyone has a relative that went there or worked there. It's doing great things for the people. At the same time, its long tale of abuse shows signs that the trauma it created is being passed down through generations like an illness. Tatewi is a badass attorney. Tatewi means? I'm the executive director of Thunder Valley Community Development Corporation. She is so powerful and really dedicated to her community and her people and making the world a better place. The organization she heads up, Thunder Valley, is working to restore the Lakota life ways they feel are important for their people to thrive. That includes a focus on language, food sovereignty, and sustainable housing, and undoing generations of oppression at the hands of a Catholic church and the federal government. If boarding schools like Red Cloud were to be suddenly run off the res, organizations like Thunder Valley are ready to step in and fill the void. Who knows how many children we continue to lose because these churches still have that paternalistic mindset that they know best, that they know better, and that they're doing us a favor by taking our children and saving them from us. That's colonization. That's what the church wanted to happen. They were very effective at their assimilation and colonization tactics. And so that's what we're doing. How do we battle those factors? I definitely thought it was really important that we interview Tate Weeb. You have these two forces, right? Because they're both doing, in some ways, similar things. You have Red Cloud, the former Indian boarding school that's really focused on how it's trying to bring back Lakota language and culture, but it's under the guise of the Jesuits and the Catholic Church. That's one way. You have Thunder Valley that have this big vision for how they want to bring back the language and the culture, but it's uniquely 100% Lakota. We don't need the church. We don't need this crap. We're doing it this way. So it's two different ways at it. And that what was crazier was to not only think about Tate Wee being Russell Means' daughter. Russell Means is one of the most recognizable and famous Native activists, a leader of the American Indian movement and player in the 1970s occupation of Wounded Knee. He was a Hollywood actor. He even ran for vice president in 1984. But then it's like, are you kidding me? The vice president of Red Cloud Indian School is Dennis Banks' daughter, Tashina. My name is Tashina Banks Rayma. I am the daughter of Kamuk Nichols Ekafee and Dennis James Banks. Dennis Banks was also an iconic activist and co-founder of the American Indian Movement alongside Tate Wee's father, Russell Means. It's like, we could have never written this. This is really crazy to see the offspring of two of the most noted leaders of the American Indian Movement now in this juxtaposition here in their own community. It was really crazy, right? And crazy, but just also really compelling because these are both very powerful, fierce women who are both really dedicated to their community, but coming at something in two very different ways ways and it's incredible but it's also kind of explosive too. For me Tate we said something that was interesting the first time that we talked to her is how the tribe could legally 
get the Catholic Church out of there and how the tribe could legally hold them accountable. And I wanted to know more. It has to be the elimination of the church influence here in our community. I feel like the churches should be taxed. There are legal mechanisms and ways that we could do that here as a sovereign nation. Give resources to the community that you've profited from for so many years, that you've harmed for so many years. Those resources can go to immersion programs, can go to food sovereignty programs, to building our um, energy sovereign infrastructure. Those, things, those resources could do a tremendous amount for our true liberation. If they truly care about our people and love our people, what's the issue? Or do they only love us if we're going to be Christian? This is American Genocide. In an environment where it's easy to point to a reason for your problems, Tatewi is working on an anecdote to the boarding school's long-term harm, as laid out in Deb Holland's report, which he calls an attempt to wipe out Native identity, language, and culture. Thunder Valley Community Development Corporation is a really remarkable organization that was founded at least 10 to 15 years ago by a Lakota guy named Nick Tilson, who really, this vision for not only bringing back the Lakota way of life and values and language, but thinking so holistically what that meant, which meant community and economic development, cultural development, being self-sufficient, you know, thinking about food sovereignty, thinking about Thunder Valley being the intersection of all of these things. About seven years ago, it was just prairie, like there's nothing out there, but a big fancy sign that said Thunder Valley. All they had was a trailer for their office and that was it. And that chicken coop. But it was like this field of dreams that Nick literally, because he's just extraordinary visionary, managed to like raise $60 million. Then to fast forward to the day that Lachey and I walk in and to see this like amazing community that has sprung up and all the things that are happening. You're just driving through Prairie and then all of a sudden these two-story buildings pop out of nowhere with solar panels. You definitely just get a sense of like cul-de-sacs and they're really well thought out, beautiful. And then these like, I think there's like a little apartment building, then there's a beautiful community center. And then to like look out and see this beautiful playground and to learn, you know, that it was really designed with like their cultural and spiritual beliefs in mind and how it mirrors, you know, the stars and different sacred sites. It's so cool because traditionally tribal housing, HUD housing out there is just really not, not good places. And this was a really beautiful thriving community with like dogs and kids running around and it was lovely. There is nothing like this on the res. The answer isn't more of the colonizer oppressive systems. The answer is more investment into our traditional life ways like our language, like our food sovereignty. So, you know, with the community we're building here at Thunder Valley, that it's um, an example to others of what's possible. It's not, I don't, we don't mean it to be a blueprint for everyone to follow because everyone has to write their own story, but that we are as close as possible to how our ancestors lived and interacted with one another. That we are able to truly shed those influences of colonization. Um, that includes Christian influences, right? That, that would have no part of our communities that we could drive through uh, this land base and not see a church. That, that's a part of my liberation dream um, is that the church is not here and that it's all um, based on who we are as Lakota people. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you about is, 
the influence of Christianity in this area on this community and how that balances with the traditional teachings. It's good timing with this interview, I think with all of the chaos that's happening right now around the churches and it's really hard to hold them accountable in our communities because they have people protecting them. There are members of our own community, elders in our own community, fluent speakers in our own community that are staunch advocates of the church that will literally tell the Jesuits, don't leave, we need you. We've become so out of balance and power hungry that we've become the facsimile white people. And so how do we truly reclaim our identity to live in balance? And, and I'm a complete advocate for reparations. What kind of reparations? Removing the Jesuits from the community and money. Tatewi is ironically similar to Tashina Banks' Rama. Despite sitting on opposite sides of the table, they are eye to eye on some of the most explosive issues. Here's Tashina. Let me know if this sounds familiar. The conversation we need to get to is reparations. Um, what does reparations look like? Is it money? Absolutely, it's money, but it's also other things. Spiritual health, mental health, um, wellness, physical health. I mean, there are so many um, pieces to reparations that need to be talked about. Would you like to see that from the Catholic Church? Absolutely. Yep. And the federal government. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, listening to them, I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, these are two badass, powerful, brilliant women in the center of this. Two women who want the exact same thing. One is working in the system and one is ready to shatter that system. Same outcome, but just different approaches. I think both approaches can be in conflict with one another, but they don't always have to be. I mean, I laugh and I think, okay, Malcolm X, you know, Martin Luther King, like these are, these are definitely two different approaches and they're definitely in conflict. Um, you know, and I think you hear Tate Wee talk about the way that they can have these schools that's on their traditional spiritual calendar and the way that they're subsisting off the land and all of these things. That is very different than this brick and mortar building over here with, you know, their school calendar and nuns walking around with sage and I mean, totally opposite. But it's clear that for Tashina, you know, she really feels like because she is sitting in a position of leadership and a degree of power, at least she feels like she's sitting there with, an, I think she thinks, a real opportunity to reform from inside. Tashina says she's been arguing this point behind closed doors. Where are you having those conversations and what's the reaction from the people in those rooms? And who are the people in those rooms? Well, you know, I can't like say everything because then I probably won't have a seat at the table forever if I like talk about some of those conversations. Like there's a genuine fear to have a conversation around reparations. What is it gonna, like, is it gonna bankrupt us? And I'm not talking about Red Cloud, right? I'm talking about the Catholic Church. Is there something that motivates you to do that? Because you could easily not bring those things up. Oh, absolutely. Um, one is my parents. Um, having the strength of my parents behind me, like, you know, people say this and I say it, so I'll say it too, but I do stand on their shoulders, right? I stand on the shoulders of Dennis Banks. I would not be where I am if they didn't do what they did, right? I wouldn't be sitting at these tables. Um, like, 
I wouldn't have probably the college degrees that I have. I wouldn't have had the travel and the world experiences I've had if it weren't for them. You know, my worldview is huge because my dad took me with him around the world. I've been to 22 different countries. We asked Tate We Means a similar question. How much did your parents sort of activism and sort of their, you know, those instilling those important values influence you as a parent, as a community member, and in this role? My father, of course, um, being who he, who he is, um, all of the things he's been able to fight for for indigenous people across the world showed me by example what it takes to be selfless, what it takes to have courage um, and to really act without fear. And I miss him for that. Matriarchs play a very powerful role, traditionally, whether it's in Lakota societies, but other Native nations. It's not just in these particular women. I think that Native women generally, you know, can play very powerful roles. When you look at some of the biggest leaders, whether it's Standing Rock, um, we look at what's happened in the last few years. The first two Native American women are elected to Congress. Deb Holland, who ends up becoming cabinet secretary. I mean, you look at the trend lines where we are seeing more and more women running for office, more and more women starting to take over major positions within tribal government and other things. I think it's really neat because I see it happening nationally, but then to see this microcosm happening right here at Pine Ridge and this issue around Red Club. But it isn't only the women making waves. One of Thunder Valley's most effective voices is their Lakota language and education director, a brilliant young man who helped pioneer a revolutionary language immersion daycare. What's powerful about that is language was the first thing the boarding schools tried to drive out of you. My name is Dallas Nelson. I'm from the Red Cloud community on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. My whole educational career was at Holy Rosary Mission. I caught the tail end of the, that residential boarding school era uh, where um, the mistreatment by the nuns and the individuals was still happening. But uh, I was fortunate enough to have access to our Lakota way of life through ceremonies, through uh, different spiritual gatherings. I had access to those. I was exposed to those at a very young age. Uh, they were part of my, my, my upbringing. When you sit across from someone like Dallas, you see how activists are forged. As a young man, he was out in the world being told over and over to put his background aside to forget his language and ceremonies. When he goes home, he is immersed in culture, pride, and family. He had to make that make sense at a very young age. Um, my mother, her first language was uh, Lakota. I never knew until I got older why she didn't speak any language to us. She went to school at Holy Rosary and experienced some trauma around the language. She was sick and she had to throw up, but she didn't know how to say it in English, so she. She ended up trying to get the teacher's attention and the teacher just kept ignoring her. Her, she threw up on herself in front of everybody. That generation comes from a difficult time period because they were, they were the ones that were, had the language still, but they were experiencing those, those, those type of traumas. It, for her, it was really traumatic because she was, again, sheltered, she was shy. So I was unfortunate to not be able to have her speak any language to me. One of the most gratifying things I can say about my work is seeing my mom get some sort of healing from it. To somebody like me, like I don't know my native language. Can you describe like why language is just so important to kind of thread that needle between like 
the culture and everything? I'll use a term that we have, and it's a well-known term. It's mitakuye uh, oyasini. It's something we say in all of our ceremonies, no matter what ceremony you're in, but if it's a sweat lodge, a sandatsu, it's a phrase that embodies our connection to everything. Um, it simply says we're all related. That's my aunt, that's my uncle, those are my, that's my blood, that's my, those are my Hunka uh, relatives. We adopted them last year at, at this ceremony and they're, they're considered our relatives too. So not just us humans, but us, the, the nature, the land, the animals, the, the trees, the plants, and then the, um, the sky, the stars, and then to everything else that we can't see or understand. You're no better than anyone else, but anything else either. You're to live your life every single day knowing that everything is interconnected and everybody's interconnected and you have to treat everyone as your relative. You you set in, set to me, you set in a play how you're gonna act that day. They're all my relatives, everybody's related, we're all interconnected. I really teared up like hearing him talk about his mom. It made me think about my own family, my grandfather, like, you know, I think about my grandfather's dad and, and his grandfather, like, they lived on the land. They lived in teepees. They spoke fluent Pawnee. He went to that school fl speaking fluent Pawnee. My grandfather did. And they beat it out of him in all kinds of ways. And to the point that we grew up never learning our language. We never learned anything about our culture. I know, like, 10 Pawnee words. Our language is now on the endangered language list top in, in like in the world and it's not just about oh it's cool to speak your language I mean you really get a sense as you understand that language isn't a form of communication it's a way in which we order life and it's about culture and it's about connection and and I think so it this one it like made me cry it made me angry then it's like bingo this is why the church wanted to destroy this this is why they wanted to totally come in and eradicate the language the culture and all these things because these people were so dangerous because of the power of their traditional ways. Dallas did work at Red Cloud Indian School and was making an effort to create a language immersion program. And there are reasons that that did not work out. And then he started to work with Thunder Valley and um, putting those uh, language immersion classes with their organization um, outside and separate from Red Cloud. I was fortunate enough to work with their language program to help get it get it started and get it to where it can operate on its own and train the staff that needed to be trained to work there um, and then to see it blossom. The activists at Thunder Valley are aware that Red Cloud is making attempts, but they are not impressed. The majority of the learning happens in the home, yeah, and then it happens at school, of course, but the learning happens in Lakota country at those community events, those ceremonies. That's where learning happens. Here's Tatewi. I don't ever really want to criticize language movement because language is language and it's beautiful. Um, and we need as many people teaching and learning as possible. But our people getting galvanized and organized so that we say, this is how we want these churches held accountable. You really hear and how passionate people are fighting for, for this balance to really reclaim these things in their community. And they're really coming into this moment where they understand how much this has affected their lives. It feels like a really significant moment that this is something that this community is gonna contend with, right? It's, this isn't going away and it's, it's bigger than Red Cloud. Dallas had a lot more to say. 
not just Dallas, but his entire family. They all went to Red Cloud at some point. So he invited us to his father's home. Uh, head towards uh, that road. Okay. Watch out. So yeah, go to this road, then take the right, and then we'll We're interviewing your grandmother or your father here? My father here, and then afterwards we'll go down, down there to my grandma's. And my grandma Fifi's down in the corner down there. And grandma Fifi's the one we're um, interviewing? Yeah, that's my sister Dusty. <laughs> My name is Daniel Nelson. I'm from Pine Ridge, South Dakota. When you meet Dallas's father, Daniel, Dallas makes a lot of sense. I'm kind of an extremist, extreme. My easy answer is if the church removes itself from my land and gives us back all the land that they currently own, the government paid them, paid them to, to, to destroy us. And now they're insulting us by making money off of what they call healing. They're, it's just about money to them. Their healing is another way for them to make money. Are you, are you still talking? Hello. Hello. This is my grandma Fifi. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Nice to see you. <laughs> this is Crystal Panache. Hi. Nice Hello. to meet you. I, are you interviewing? Yeah, Dal's interviewing. Yeah. Want some water? Go ahead, I'll listen. Go ahead, Pence. Um, Dad, do you want to share with them about your, your schooling? This yeah, is where you, where sure. You went to school. So I came and I was a boarder at Red Cloud at Holy Rosary. And uh, I, I went to school there for a few short years. But at that time, it was during the 70s, and uh, it was a different time. And we, we all knew all the stories that our parents and our grandparents had told us about the, the abuse they suffered. And so uh, my generation, we were, we, were, uh, we were angry. Daniel went to Red Cloud at the height of the American Indian Movement, a civil rights movement that propelled Native peoples into the mainstream and set a foundation for our movement today. We had witnessed a lot of the uh, demonstrations and the fighting of Indian people standing up. We were crazy and we were young and, and we resisted and we fought back against the, uh, uh, the church. We went too far sometimes and we ended up tying up a, a priest and then we ran round and round with the rope and we all acted crazy and danced you know, around <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. Kind of too. <laughs> that was the end of my career at Holy Road. <laughs> yeah. I forgot yeah. that your uh, time at that school was way different than mine because yeah. the priests and nuns they sent to the mission when I went to school, they were rejects from their own diocese. Do you remember what year you went there? Huh? Do you remember what year you went yeah, there? Yeah, 1949 to 51. Mom put us at the rosary because she couldn't afford to keep us. It was really bad because they wouldn't let us speak our language. If they caught you, spoke in your native tongue, they punished you. So that nun took me in the back room and beat me up with her keys. She had a ring about that big, all full of skeleton keys. You know how heavy those are. I had big knots in my head. I told my sister about it. And she's about two year, years older than me, and she was in high school. 
she caught that man and she said, you ever hit my sister again? Are you even going near her? She said, I'll, I'll get you and don't think I won't. She scared that nun, and my sister was tough. Mm. So that nun left me alone, and I, I, she didn't bother me anymore. Her older sister was rebellious, and so they took a special interest in her and concentrated their effort to convince her to become a nun, and that's yeah. how they controlled her. We see that the pride has been brewing from Wounded Knee to Standing Rock, Clearly, the Lakota people have resistance in their DNA, which makes sense. As the last tribe to meet white people, they've managed to keep their way of life intact. The Oglala Lakota people were one of the strongest and the most resistant to the westward expansion of the United States. And uh, our great chief and leader, Red Cloud, was one of the only ones successful at defeating the United, the might of the United States military and signed a peace treaty on his terms. And I think that sticks into the uh, the government as a thorn in the side of the government and they held a grudge against us. They know that our power was our culture and our strength was our way of life. And so they made a big effort to destroy that. But we're still here, we're not destroyed. Holy Rosary is embarking on this truth and healing initiative, reconciling with the past. Do you think that's possible? What can they say to my, my grandmother that will help her? What can they do for her? What can they do for me? What was gonna help me? What are they gonna do for the individuals that had, a, had to suffer through that? And that are victims walking around now on the street or whatever, what are they gonna do for us? Well, um, that we know the truth. <laughs> We all know the truth. The truth is that the U.S. government first came for the land. When they couldn't snatch the land, they targeted the people, specifically the children. And they did it by disassociating them with their language and their culture. This is not my discovery. This is well-documented history. In the report put out by the Department of the Interior in 2022, Red Cloud School is one of over 400 named that are complicit in this plot. By being super progressive and commissioning the ground-penetrating radar, Red Cloud has a chance to be leaders of a wave across the country. But you hear the anger, you hear the distrust from folks like Daniel Nelson, Tate Wee Means, and Dallas Nelson. For this to succeed, Red Cloud is going to have to win the people. On the next episode of American Genocide, Crystal and Lachey sit down with the eccentric scientists behind the ground-penetrating radar, Marsha Small, to get a sense of how the technology works, as well as a spiritual mission behind it. What brings you to Red Cloud? GPR, ground-penetrating radar. I'm looking for the stolen kidnapped children. Can the school be trusted with the results? Or is this like every other promise the Native community has received? One big con job. The producer of this podcast would like to thank and acknowledge the following. Evolutionaries, supported by CAA and Pop Culture Collaborative. San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Serdna Foundation. Open Society Foundation. Novo Foundation. MacArthur Foundation. Christensen Fund. Pivotal Ventures. And JPB Foundation.